Some people love Shakespeare, others not so much. But a Shakespeare adaptation is always a good time. Constellation Theater at 14th and T is featuring a musical called Desperate Measures. It's based off of Shakespeare's play Measure for Measure, but it's set in the Wild West. A gunslinging nun teams up with a sheriff and a saloon dancer to save her brother. Buy tickets now at constellationtheater.org. The show runs through March 17th. Once again, that's constellationtheater.org. Today on CityCast DC, we are live, live at Politics and Pros Union Market. And I'm here with CityCast contributor Dan Reed and The Washington Post's Lori Aratani to talk about a bunch of things, including the latest shenanigans involving Dan Snyder. Oh, come on, people. You will miss him when he's gone. There's nothing that unites a city like a shared enemy. Plus, we're going to be looking at how Metro's new general manager, GM, Randy Clark, is doing in the role. And we're going to be talking about the very, 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 very early cherry blossom season this year. Today is Friday, March 3rd, 2023. I'm Michael Schaefer, and this is CityCast DC. So Dan Snyder, anyone heard of him? Uh, Last we heard, his uh, football team, the Washington Commanders, that he's owned for 24 years, uh, were for sale as he seemed to be heading for the exits, trailed by an investigation into workplace misconduct, a string of scathing reports by, uh, among others, Lori's newspaper, and general ill will because this team that used to be the sort of like bonding civic element of the city has become a like bad on the field, but also no one really cares, which is the saddest and weirdest thing of all to me as a child of the 80s in Washington. And then uh, things seem to be going, like he seemed to be actually like kind of quietly gliding to the exit until this week because uh, the Post reports that he has demanded of his fellow NFL owners that he be indemnified against everything after leaving. And he may not sell if that happens. The, this, these reports further said that they, the owners, were now thinking of kicking him out, voting to force him to sell. There has been other stuff about him refusing to entertain offers from Jeff Bezos um, because he's mad at the Post. Then, just like 12 hours later, ESPN uh, reports new investigations into uh, financial shenanigans involving him and complaints lodged by his former minority partners. Basically, that he was kind of using the team as a piggy bank, according to them. He uh, put a $55 million line of credit on the team without permission from his partners, Ooh. which is uh, frowned upon um, uh, <laughs> legally and, and morally, um, and did things like charge them 4 or $5 million to put the team logo on his private jet, which he called advertising. So uh, kind of bad stuff. I, uh, if you listen to sports radio in Washington, which is not nearly as good as CityCast DC, um, uh, you will uh, hear people speculating that, you know what, maybe the secret of this is like, he's actually not rich. Anyway, it's like a real exciting week. You know, I feel like the commanders may not be much on the field, but Dan Snyder remains a thing that you can actually talk to strangers about in Washington. You know, I think what everybody wants to know is what happens to Major Tutty, the terrible mascot that was just introduced. Does he get to go too with Dan Snyder? Because I'd be here for that. I don't know. I mean, what's more likely, that 
that he finds someone to buy the team or the owners vote him out or none of the above and we're Dan Snyder stays. I mean, I've been working on the assumption that they um, they really don't want to set a president of voting him out. Yeah. But if they do, they would much rather it be about financial shenanigans than like the whole allegations of sexual assault and sexual harassment and toxic gender culture in the office because I suspect that a lot more of them are worrying that that, that may apply to them someday. And saying, like, well, you stole money from us, it's kind of a clean hit, yeah. uh, whether it's true or not. Yeah. But I think it's like, you know, again, it's, it's really hard to emphasize how much this the football team was like a part of, you know, Ronald Reagan, like not a friend of the, the government worker, gave the entire federal workforce the afternoon off to go to the parade after they won the Super Bowl. Oh, that's amazing. Um, which was just sort of a, you know, there's a lot of things that have changed since then. There's a lot of reasons why you wouldn't adopt the local team. But one of them uh, is that the local team sucks and <laughs> that they have, and you hear nothing but terrible things about them and their culture and, uh, and their owner in particular. I feel like people love having a villain, right? And in a city that doesn't have the same, well, let me back up a second. I live in Philadelphia, which is a terrible and disgusting sports culture, whether the teams win or lose, and I love it deeply. Um, whether or not that existed here, I have memory of this, it does seem like it's easy to sort of uh, make Dan Snyder a punching bag the way that folks do for like uh, political figures, right? Where someone might talk about, I don't know, Pete Buttigieg. People love to hate Pete Buttigieg. Yeah, although Snyder, the, the feelings are more, I mean, it's more wow. like Visceral. Joseph Stalin or something. I mean, like, like, there's not a lot of debate. Um, yeah, we can make a case for Pete Buttigieg. Right. I mean, Pete Buttigieg has his fans. Yeah. <laughs> Does Dan Snyder have any fans? I have never. Them. I have never encountered uh, someone, a, someone who's, who's like, you know, that guy's doing a bang up job. <laughs> uh, you hear from people who say, like, look, it's it's kind of un unfair. Uh, even like last year when he was so he was under investigation by the Oversight Committee and the House of Representatives when the Democrats controlled it. A bunch of stuff that was like kind of marginal got leaked out. And there were people who would say to me, like, it's kind of unfair. You know, he is just the easy punching bag and they're leaking stuff that's, you know, in a way that's like kind of not fair to him. That is the closest you will hear to, uh, uh, in terms of a defense of the man. Um, See, as someone who didn't grow up in this region, I mean, back in the day when he took ownership of the team, I mean, did people like him or was he always? I think he was fairly quickly disliked. Disliked? Yeah. When he took over ownership and he was, he had made his money in sort of tech adjacent things. Like it was like kind of cell phone stuff that was like a little bit. Beepers. A little bit skeezy. But, uh, <laughs> but there was this idea and because, you know, Washington, our, our beloved city is forever like insecure that like people think we're nothing but a two-bit government town and he was a real capitalist like he had not made his money in any government adjacent industry and people were like perversely proud of that in a way they wouldn't huh. be someplace else but actually then he he settled into office and was just as happy to have like political vips in the owner's box as anyone else because you know we all love a celebrity well i wonder you know one of the rumors i've heard is as you mentioned that jeff bezos might or is interested in buying the team, I kind of wonder what it would be like, how people would react to that, right? Like, he, he owns a lot of other things that people have mixed feelings about. But they love the Washington Post. Of course, yes. <laughs> Thank you.
No, it's, it, I mean, one of the things that NFL owners do in general is poor mouth, right? Like, oh, we need your help building a stadium or else we'll never right. get to build a stadium and we'll move the team to, you know, Montana or something. Um, but Bezos probably won't be able to get away with that. Uh, you know, Snyder, like, and this is, I think, what turned his fellow NFL plutocrats against him is he has, because he is so toxic and unpopular, he has not been able to gouge money out of local governments to build a stadium. Um, which, since they share revenues, means he is effectively his his unpopularity is effectively taking money out of fellow owners' pocket. But I think Bezos, were he to own the team, he would have a different problem because every city council member and state legislator uh, who would be was asked to like, hey, how about you have the taxpayers pay interest on these bonds for the next thirty years, for the what is he rich second richest person in the world? That's just a tougher sell. Oh no, we're, we're good. You can you can handle that. Thank you. <laughs> The brand new Arbor at Tacoma is built for your most convenient urban living. Whether you want to enjoy the vibrant Tacoma DC community or comfortably retreat into a sleek sanctuary all your own. The kitchens have striking dark navy and white cabinets and throughout the home, there are wood floors and smart home technology. Some homes even have a private outdoor space. With a quick walk to the Metro, you can easily head into downtown or stay close and enjoy the retail that's on site. Located at 218 Cedar Street Northwest, the Arbor Tacoma offers brand new one and two bedroom condos starting in the upper 300,000s. Visit thearborattacoma.com for more information. That's Tacoma with a K. So T-H-E-A-R-B-O-R-A-T-T-A-K-O-M-A.com. Isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all? To feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. All right, we should talk, speaking of uh, unpopular, once beloved <laughs> local institutions, about the Metro. Uh, who's, uh, who's general manager, Randy Clark, is, he was, and is not a public enemy number one or, or at all, I don't think, but uh, uh, has been here, what, six months now? Yeah, he came last summer. I'd be curious to know how many people actually know who the general manager of Metro is these days because, oh, maybe not. I guess he's got to work on that Twitter, Instagram thing. He's we'll very good at it. He is all over Twitter. He is all over Instagram. He's all over the system. I, um, tend, I tend to think yeah. that, like, General managers of things like subway systems only become household names when things go when bad. things go wrong. So it might, this may be like <laughs> a um, things go bad. But so you are a transportation reporter, and um, and Dan, you are a transportation nerd. And I say this sure. with love. Um, <laughs> they have now promised this week that they are going to restore the uh, headways, the amount of time between trains that existed before the pandemic. They don't have anything like the ridership that they did before the pandemic because people ain't going places. Mm -hmm. But is that like, is, if you build it, they will come? Like, is that going to actually bring people back onto the metro? 
It wouldn't hurt. You know, part of, I think, any executive's job is to make people feel excited about the thing, to be a cheerleader for the thing. This is why we hate Dan Snyder. It's because he's not good at making us feel good about the thing. Yeah. Oh, that's, a good, that's a good point. Randy that's Clark point. wants us to feel good about the thing. He's on the system. He's out writing it. He's very fun on social media. Uh, he wants us to be thirsty for him and for Metro. <laughs> and that, that might be enough to get people on the train. <laughs> I mean, that's the big debate. If you're going somewhere, right, you want to know that you're going to get there on time, whether you're on a train, you're in your car, you know. So if they can guarantee, right, if you know the train's going to be there, it's this reliability. Safety is really important. That's always paramount. But if you can't depend on Metro to be there, if you can't depend on those headways, you know, or those buses to be there, I, I remember back, I can't tell you how many apps ago, right, I would get that bus app and I would run to the stop and I'd be like, it says it's going to be here in two minutes. And then it would just disappear. And that made me absolutely crazy. And I realized I finally just stopped using the app because it made me too crazy. And I just said, I'll show up and I'll wait till the bus comes. But I, I think his hope is that if he makes the system dependable, you know, they have had some good days where they ridership has been up, ridership has been up on weekends. I think the thing that they're going to have a hard time with is people don't ride like they used to, right. right? There's no traditional rush hour, traditional rush day, maybe in the evenings on the weekdays, but it's very different. When, and even when you talk about good days, I mean, it's like you're talking about some, like, a aging, dying relative. Like, well, he's got his good days. <laughs> <laughs> that said, you know, ridership has actually doubled between 2022 and 2021. It's still way below where it was, you know, just a few years ago. But he can show this, like, upward trend, right? And to your point, Laurie, people whenever they choose any kind of transportation mode, there's like friction, right? You know, uh, I have to carry my heavy ass electric bike down three steps to leave my house, thus I don't use it. And the more frequent the train comes, the less friction there is that makes me not want to use it and use something else. And I think he's doing a good job by focusing on like really nuts and bolts stuff like that. Well, is so saying the trains will come every four minutes, even, mm -hmm. if the, even if the amount of passengers only bears the train coming every 10 minutes. That is a great advertisement for using it, but is it sustainable at the current rate of commuting? I mean, if the amount of people who go downtown every day or go to work in an office, wherever it is, if that number remains, you know, tens of percentage points below where it was, is like, the, are the finances of Metro sustainable, period? Metro has to pass a hat around to DC, Maryland, and Virginia every year, you know? Or they had to in the past, and I think as long as it's relying on those subsidies, like, yeah, it is sustainable. Like, if Randy, and it's Randy, can convince uh, jurisdictions to pay up for it, yeah. That may be part of the reason why this board liked Randy, because when he was in, he ran the Austin system, which is a smaller system, but he was a real cheerleader, and they got a big bond measure to expand the system. And I think part of Metro's job is, right, making sure literally the trains and buses run on time. But part of it is selling, right? As Dan mentions, you've got to you've got to go to the jurisdictions. You've got to go, you know, to the Maryland General Assembly. You've got to go to Virginia, and you've got to with your hat in your hand, and you got to sell, sell, sell. And I, I I suspect that's part of you know, he's 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 just a really different generation of transit leader. Right. Um, you think of the last couple of leaders they had, they were. One was a great operations guy, but not really a people person, didn't like being out there. And, and Randy's very different. He's mm -hmm. on these mm -hmm. platforms. He's communicating with people. People tweeted him. He often tweets back. He rides the system. When I was covering Metro full time, you know, that was one of the complaints that people said, you need to ride the system and understand the system and mm -hmm. see what the problems are, where the friction is. So I think he builds some credibility 
you know, by doing that. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think, yeah, it is, if your ridership isn't coming back, it's going to be a real hard balancing act because you go downtown. I don't know how many folks here, you know, are, are ever downtown and it, it's really different and you, you miss that energy. And I don't, I just don't know what's going to bring it back. I might be one of the few people who's saying that eventually people are going to have to go back to work. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like a rubber band. It'll snap back just slowly. The other piece of Metro news this week uh, was last fall, there was a proposal that Metro buses within the District of Columbia would be made free. And the city passed this with the contingency that they would, they, they would have to certify this this year that they could afford it, which according to the city's chief financial officer, they cannot. Uh, this has caused some, you know, there's other members of the DC council who are not happy with this assessment and think uh, it's being overly cautious and so on. I've been like fascinated with this idea of like the free buses and what it, like, what it will do to behavior. Will it make people more likely if, you know, like me, I take the bus to the train sometimes, would I be more likely to just stay on the bus and go all the way downtown, um, which would get me there just slower? Um, and would it make people like behave differently on the bus since it's free? Are they gonna, you know, like, are you gonna, are you gonna get what you pay for? Um, this is like a like real-time social science experiment I'm really curious about, but is this, do you think this is gonna wind up happening? It's uh, free bus fares are one of those examples of like friction, right? You know, I, I want to go somewhere. I forgot my smart trip card. I have to load my smart trip card. You can't load it to go on the bus. Like, but I can now. I can take it anyway, right? And so I think they see this as a way that will juice ridership, and deal with the other problem at this phase of the pandemic, which is traffic is back, right? People are still going places at all different times, and car traffic is back, right? So they need as many incentives as they can find to get people on the bus. Whether or not it actually will happen. Unclear. I think it is still a matter of making the case to like the broader public, and it sounds like people, you know, in the DC Council, like whether you should make the bus free. Yeah, there. I mean, uh, I know uh, Phil Mendelson, the council chair, and and Charles Allen, who represents Ward Six, who's the one that that proposed the original bill. They want to make this happen, and there was there was some upset that you know they had been briefed by this CFO on the report, but he apparently hadn't mentioned this. You know, I think Charles Allen snapped back and said, you know, we're the ones that set policy. So we'll see how this happens. They're going to the lawyers mm -hmm. um, and we'll see how this works out. I mean, if it does happen, you know, it would make D.C. the most populous city in the U.S. that's done this. They've done this in Kansas City. They've done this down in Richmond, Virginia. Folks seem very happy there. It'd be interesting to look and see what that's done for ridership. Is there data? Like, who rides the bus in Washington? Like, is the average bus rider wealthier than the average metro rider, poorer, um, uh, what? In general, the average metro bus rider is a little less affluent mm -hmm. than the average metro rail rider. They tend to ride for longer and not transfer as to the train, mm -hmm. you know, as much. And we tend to come from, in some cases, different parts of the city or different parts of the region. So it's a slightly different customer. And that's a big reason. The other reason why people make the argument for free bus versus equity, right? They had the similar conversation in Montgomery County about the ride on buses there. and. I think the one thing that people forget is that free buses still cost money to the jurisdiction. You have to pay to run the service and you're not getting that money back from the fare box revenue. So there is a trade-off, right? You can have free bus or you can have more frequent buses or more buses or newer buses. Or that's how it's presented, right? You could do both, but many like politicians or you know, in a constrained budget situation, try to put these two against each other. And that's a real risk, right? You know, the example from Kansas City shows that 
they made the buses free, but they also had to cut service. So do, would you expect that service would not get better if they made them free? It's a conversation folks may be reluctant to have. <laughs> um, all right, well, so we, should, we need to move on to a third topic, which, speaking of traffic um, uh, and things you should not drive to, um, it is about to be cherry blossom season, potentially very early. Um, I, yes, I, I feel like I saw some trees blooming last week. This incredibly warm winter we've had is already sort of playing havoc on the predictions, but we now have dates that allegedly peak bloom will be between the 22nd and 25th of March. Are you guys into cherry blossoms? Do you like go look at them? Do you? Uh, my birthday is April three, so I usually try to time it on my birthday. You know, I think of this as you know, Japan's gift to me personally. It is. It is. It is indeed. It is indeed. No, I love. I love the cherry blossoms. I, the tourist in me, just loves seeing them. You know, when I was driving in more often, but I just love seeing them. Uh, there is a secret spot in Montgomery County where you can go Kenwood. in a neighborhood. Yes, oh, Kenwood. Right. That's nice. Um, and that's that's a really. It's just a little. But it just spring is here. Although it it is confusing when spring is here and then there's snow and then and then it's eighty again and then it's it it is. I feel sad for the trees. I just feel sad for the trees. But I I'm I'm excited. I think I love seeing them. I feel like that's the one time I can take a good picture on my phone. You know, it's hard to mess those up, although I'm sure I can. Wait, are there other, like, um, non-mall cherry blossom locales? There's Kenwood in Bethesda, which is fun because you get to stand in the yards of $2 million houses and look at their trees, and it makes the residents upset. And there is uh, Oxen Run Park in Ward 8 also has cherry blossoms. And you can go there, and there are considerably fewer people. How do the residents feel about that? It's actually a park, so it helps. Okay. <laughs> um, a congressional cemetery, too, I think. Is that an? I, oh, I don't know. You tell me. Has anyone been out to a congressional cemetery? Oh yeah, uh, someone is naughty. <laughs> yes, there yeah. you go. You can put that on the list. I know. We understand if you guys don't want to tell us your secret spots, because then we'll show up. They'll be like, ah. And actually, like on Nebraska Avenue, right in front of the residence of the Japanese ambassador, so it's very on brand. Ugh. Yes. There's uh, there's a stand of, of cherry trees there, and they look quite beautiful uh, when the time is right. Uh, but I never like my family. My parents were like, oh, that's just touristic. We wouldn't go. <laughs> but as a result of that, I actually don't think I ever saw cherry blossoms when I was growing up. It's a very DC thing to never go to the mall. Right, right. I guess that's the most DC. It's like yeah, once you once you live here for a while, you never go until someone right, yeah. someone from out of town comes. It's like ah, oh, you gotta go. Hey, grandma's here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I'm going to pass the mic to our CityCast CEO David Plotz, who is going to have a chat about books. I'm here with Anton Bogomazov, who is the chief adult book buyer for Politics and Prose to talk about new books that we are excited about. So, Anton, what should CityCast listeners be reading this month? Um, so I tried to sort of come up with a theme, and the theme is obviously it's Women's History Month. Um, so there are all these books, except for one, are written by women. And uh, here's the first one. It's After Sappho by Selby Wynne Schwartz. This was nominated for Booker Prize, and it's now newly out in uh, the US. It's historical fiction about queer women in early 20th century. And what it does, it has these like vignettes that are very intricately connected. And 
all these like lives of real women, most of them not very well known. So they sort of goes through their lives and then you kind of just get swept with these segments along. Now, I know experimental narrative choices are not everyone's thing. So I have I have other choices. Uh, this is Bad Cree. Uh, by Jessica Johns, and she is a member of Sucker Creek Nation in Alberta. And this is one of the books in sort of the Native American horror subgenre. And if you are interested in that sort of thing, there are quite a few titles. Talk to me. I can give you more. <laughs> and it starts uh, in a startling scene where this woman brings up a severed crow's head from her dream into reality. And that, if that doesn't grab you, I mean, I cannot help you. But um, <laughs> it is very creepy, but it's also about family and sort of like generational wisdom and generational trauma, etc. The next book I have is Wade in the Water by Nyanyin Kruma. And she is a local author. Uh, so we might actually have some signed copy either here or at Connecticut Avenue. And it is about 1980s Mississippi and about a little 11-year-old girl who's kind of like a legitimate kid and she's not very loved by her family. So she's trying to make connections with people around her, including this white researcher from Princeton who comes in to do some research. And all the themes that are covered are, you know, upsettingly very relevant in race and class because it's a very segregated town. So that's a great historical fiction. Now I'm thinking we're going to talk about a couple of books that we're excited that are coming out. Yeah, I want to talk about two books that I'm super excited about, which you should pre-order from Politics and Prose. I cannot emphasize <laughs> enough how good both these books are. Both of these are going to be out next month, in April, I should say. Uh, Alexandra P. tries U.S. History, Important American Documents. It's this incredible satire of American history told through made-up documents that Alexandra, the great columnist at the Washington Post, at Lori's Washington Post, has, has made up. So she has songs, Not of Myself, by Walt Whitman, um, <laughs> audience feedback for Our American Cousin, excuses for Teapot Dome. Um, it is really, really funny. And then there's another book also by a, an author, who has Washington ties, Curtis Sittenfeld, who used to live here. And Curtis has a new novel coming out, which for me is like a holiday whenever she has a novel coming out, called Romantic Comedy, uh, which is about a Saturday Night Live writer and the, the musical guest of Saturday Night Live. Um, and it's just pure, unadulterated joy. I read it in like like an hour. It's so good. Do you have, you have some paperbacks, too? I do have some paperbacks. So, yeah, in case you... You're on a budget. Um, there are some really cool um, books that are on paper this season. The first one is Olga Dies Dreaming by Xochitl Gonzalez. It's a family story, but also it's a romance, and it's also quite funny. Uh, it's about the, the New York Puerto Rican family, about his woman and her brother and their mother, who basically left them to join this militant cause years ago. And so they sort of all come together uh, during Hurricane Maria. So it's sort of like one of those... You know, satisfying novels that kind of has everything for everybody. So it's a very sort of wide range of people. You can either read it yourself or give to somebody. And finally, the lonely dude on this list <laughs> is Dennis Duncan, who wrote this wonderful, nerdery, just delightful book called Index, comma, A History of the... And um, because you're all book nerds, right? You are. You're in the bookstore. And... 
his his it's so delightful and it's sort of like do you know why we alphabetize things like do you know what indexers do well here here's the book for you and not only just because like you're this, not going to tell us why absolutely not you have to read it um but index is actually more than just indexing that people used to have like whole conversations through index and like just be so shady and so this is a very sassy and delightful book about like what index is but also about how we sort of view information and how really how we read so there you go all of these books are available at the store <laughs> at politics and prose uh anton thank you for coming on citycast tv thank you thank you all right well that is all for today here on citycast dc my friends i want to thank our guests dan reed and Lori aratani and thank you and i also especially want to thank Politics and Pros Union Market for hosting us. And, and thank you to our live audience. Yay! Love it. Uh, our lead producer is Priyanka Tilvey. Our producer is Julia Karen. Our newsletter writer is Kayla Cote-Stemmerman. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. If you enjoyed this show, and you enjoyed the show, right? <laughs> Definitely, definitely check out our newsletter. Kayla writes it. Uh, it's, it's called Hey DC. It's the same mix of newsy and fun with some great events for you every single day. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Thank you for coming. Uh, and I'm here to tell you about a few books. No? No. no I got to introduce you. Oh, <laughs> This is like a whole segment, man. Oh. All right.